You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Hello, boys and girls, one and all. It's episode 256 of the Pimp Cron Warhammer Podcast. And today we have... Well, we've only got one large, large segment. It's about an hour long, and uh, hopefully you enjoy it. It is the real talk at the Shorehammer that we do. It's the roundtable discussion, and they discuss everything from whether or not Games Workshop should sell STL files, whether or not Games Workshop uh, Warhammer Plus is worth buying into. Uh, they they whether or not you should um, accept new people in the hobby and how you should do it and what you should do for new people, et cetera, et cetera. So there's, there is a multitude of joking and topics and everything that we cover in that roundtable discussion. I usually break it up into several topics because they probably in that hour, they probably cover five or six topics in total, you know, large topics like Warhammer plus or whatever. But, uh, this year I decided just to do one episode in this way. If you like this content, here's a complete hour of it and you can enjoy it. If you hate this content, well then next week won't be this again. It will be something else. So I figure that will, um, maybe you turn this on when you're painting or you're in the car or whatever, but you know, I just spent an hour editing this, uh, this um, round talk discussion, and uh, every time I listen to this, it reminds me of how much I love Shorehammer. I cut out some of the dead air and stuff like that, but in the background, it is nonstop laughter. People ribbing each other, people chuckling, people laughing, people were stacking beer cans while we were talking, making a tower of beer cans. It's it's just a really, really fun time with a lot of cool people. So I'm very excited. It's funny because, you know, it's been almost a year, right? It's been eight months since Shorehammer. So, you know, it fades a little bit. You're like, oh, yeah, I had a lot of fun. You know, I'm looking forward to it, whatever. But it's not until I start listening to the audio that I'm like, oh, my God, it's so much fun. That is such a great time. So what I did is I listened to the last hour of that um, that recording, and I just took out most of, like, the... um. There's still some popping I couldn't get rid of, especially in the very beginning. There's some popping where people do their P's or B's into the microphone, and I apologize for that. But I was able to take out a lot of like the static, like when you're bringing the cord around, it like makes noises in the in the recording. I was able to take out most of that and most of the dead space as we were transferring the microphone from one place to another. At one point, uh, I'd say it's five, 10 minutes into it. I walked away because I was needed elsewhere and I was going for 30 seconds. And while that happened, uh, Jonathan started singing into the microphone and it just kind of devolved. So this is maybe not as clear and concise as some of you would like, but you should definitely get the vibe of Shorehammer and the the vibe of the people that go to Shorehammer. And um, I just, it's got me really, really yearning for Shorehammer 2023 because these people are just fantastic. So that is all we discussed today. I'm not doing any Tesseract mailboxes this week. I'm sorry, you'll have to wait till next week. I'm not doing any want that or want that nots. I'm not doing any of that stuff. So what have I been into? What have I been up to for the last week? Continuing to do the final, uh, I'm, I'm still in the definitely knee deep in the editing phase of the settlement mode for brutality. So that's what I'm into right now. Have I done anything at all for the hobby? Uh, no, I haven't painted a single model. 
I haven't assembled anything. So, no, I haven't really done anything for the hobby. I've spent all of my extra time when I'm not with family or at work on settlement mode, sitting through that and um, just editing and rewriting things, etc., etc. So, it takes a long time to make one of these books. It really does. Luckily, I love doing it. At the club this week, uh, my friend TJ and I, not Brutality TJ, but regular TJ. So not BTJ, just TJ. TJ and I teamed up. Um, we were actually against each other, but we teamed up to do a demo for someone's wife. One of the people in the group, William, his wife, uh, Rebecca, came. She's brand new to Age of Sigmar. She's got a Soul Blight army. And this was really her demo. She knew nothing of Age of Sigmar. So I brought my Stormcast and I played Stormcast uh, 1500 points versus TJ and Rebecca teamed up for um, Soul Blight. And the reason why is because TJ A brought his Soul Blight, which was great. So they could team up and it was thematic. But also TJ is one of the probably the only Soul Blight player in our entire club. So it was really nice to have him next to her, being able to tell her all the stuff that happens and all that. Um, she did roll very, very poorly. And, you know, you usually hear like the um, the beginner's luck or the woman's luck, because a lot of um, women or girls seem to roll really well at games for some reason, whether it be D&D or Warhammer. I know my wife always rolled really well. I know that when my son plays my any of my daughters, my daughters roll really well. Well, that was not the case for Rebecca. She rolled really badly. So, um, of course, I fudged stuff here and there and they ended up winning. So um, it was a good game, though. It was, it was pretty close. And uh, what it came down to is on on one key turn, I felt that we were right on the cusp of me just trouncing them. So what I ended up doing was I just gave them the initiative. I let them have the double turn is what I did because I won the roll off. So once I did that, luckily, that was the nudge. Them getting two turns consecutively was the nudge they needed to balance the game a little better because I was doing pretty darn well with my Stormcast. So it was, um, after that was a much tighter game because the first, uh, first game turn or so, whew, I was tearing them up, rolling fantastic, rolling great for my saves. I mean, I was, it's, it's the typical demo curse that I have. Anytime that I'm trying to play a demo with someone, trying to teach them how to play Brutality, try to teach them how to play Warhammer, I just roll fantastic. It's every single game that I don't really particularly want to win or I'm trying to win, I roll great. And then when I actually try, I roll crap. It's just the way it goes. But anyway, Rebecca seemed to have a lot of fun and um, it's nice to have a new player in the club. We've actually had a lot of new people in the club lately, a lot. Now that we're at a new store, there's like us and then there's like a, a side Warhammer group as well that are a little more competitive. All they do is like leagues and stuff. But um, we're kind of like cohabitating at the moment. We don't really mix a whole lot. But um, uh, Rebecca seemed to have a lot of fun. And once we started talking about anime and all that, she got really excited because apparently she's really into anime. So I think we did a pretty good job of making her feel welcome. And I hopefully, you know, I'm pretty sure she'll be coming back. I assured her that, hey, you know, you don't have to play with stratagems if you don't want or command points. You don't have to play with X, Y or Z. Whatever you basically in our club, our club is casual enough that you can be like, hey, I don't want to play with X, Y or Z. And your opponent will be like, oh, OK. And then they'll just do it the way you want. No one really cares. So that's really nice. Um, you know what? You know how you're listening to this podcast? Do you, you know how that I'm I'm whispering in your ear? Hey, little mama, let me whisper in your ear. 
Uh, that's because of GameMat.eu and Panhandle3D.etsy.com. Yep, that's right. They are the sponsors of this show. GameMat.eu has all the things I'm sure you've heard me say a million times. Neoprene mats, STL files, resin train, all that nonsense, right? Event 10's 10% off. Go use that code, and that'll basically give you free shipping from uh, Czech Republic, I think they're from. I forgot. I, I, I forget. But anyway, and panhandle3d.etsy.com is PH3D15 off for 15% off your order. They're 3D printed terrain. I just got my big order in from Panhandle3D for Shorehammer, and I guess I'll go ahead and spoil it. I am doing a think of the Ewok village. I'm doing an Ewok village this year. It's not actually going to have Ewoks in it, but it's like a jungle forest village with um, houses up in the trees and huts and all that. And I think, honestly, that train is made for um, whatever it's called, Legion or whatever for Star Wars. But it works really well and it's really nice. So I bought a whole town, enough to cover a six by four board of tree houses and a bunch of them have like planks that run across. And it's it's awesome. We just got that from Panhandle 3D. So, uh, I appreciate them. And you know, who could I not ever, that's a messed up sentence, who could I never forget about? Why, it's my Patreon patrons. I love you all so much. And you know what? It's been a while since we thanked them personally. So let's go through, just briefly, and we'll thank the Patreon patrons. Now I'm just going to read these names off and tell you a little bit about them because I love these people so much. First off, Mitch. Okay, he is allergic to lemon pie. It's weird. The doctors can't explain it. He was born that way. Lemon pie will literally cause his arteries to explode. So, Mitch, thank you for supporting the show, but please stay away from the lemon pie. Next up is Kojo. Do you know why Kojo always wears a baseball hat? Do you know? There's a secret under that hat. Why, yes, he smuggles frogs. He has a pet frog that he's had for 25 years living in his hat. He carries him everywhere, and it's his emotional support frog. His name is Rocco. Chris. <laughs> Chris has memorized every single audible line that Lucille Ball says in the Lucy Desi Comedy Hour. I don't know why that is his special superpower, but Chris, hats off to you. You are a true hero. Juicy Jim is the next one on the list, and do you know how he got his name, Juicy Jim? He's actually the inventor of Gushers. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, his were all vegetable flavored. He didn't ever, never crossed his mind to make them fruit flavored so kids would actually want to have them. It's like, mmm, yam gushers. It was pretty gross, but he got rich from selling the idea to uh, the company that has it now. It's like you were just that close to brilliance, Juicy Jim, but I, I guess you're well off for it now. Now, when it comes to Fergie, there's something you need to know. He's going to without a doubt, come up to you with a chess board, okay? Do not participate in chess against Fergie. The reason why is A, he's very good at chess, and B, he will eat your pieces for shock value. He will do it. He's been to the hospital several times with, like, the queen stuck in his throat. Just don't. It's best not to entertain him at all. Anytime we get together as Patreon Patreon people, he will bring out the chessboard and he'll go to each person and always the new people like Mitch don't know. Oh, OK, I'll play chess with you. And then he starts eating your pawns and you're like, what's going on? And by the time he gets to the queen, you're like, OK, how am I supposed to react to this? 
Leroy Jenkins, little known fact, is actually an exterminator, but he has a dark secret. When he collects the traps for your roaches or your ants or anything like that, he actually eats them. I have seen him personally, and he's probably going to be mad for me mentioning this. I've seen him personally dump out a trap on bread and smash it together with another piece before they can run away and just crunch. He just crunches into it. It's a sickening sound. He says it's pretty good, but I refuse to try it. Now we're to Mike. All right. Our first mother flipping Lord before Kojo became one. And Mike is a really nice guy. He's got a heart of gold. He has actually donated every single organ in his body to science research. So he's in pretty bad shape now. But anyway, he's a really nice guy. Nate. Nate won the lottery and was immediately hit by a car and lost the ticket. He's actually the inspiration for the TV show My Name is Earl. And Nate has been on a lifelong journey to correct all of the things he's done wrong in his past. And uh, Nate's middle name is actually Earl. So that's why they named it My Name is Earl. They thought Nate was a little too on the nose. Fraud Fishy Hates Everything is actually a fraud. Because Fraud Fishy is not a fraud. That's how it's a fraud. Number one, Fraud Fishy Hates Everything is not a fish. It is indeed a person. Which is crazy to think that somebody would actually use the word fish when they're not in fact a fish. Another thing is that Fraud Fishy Everything is incredibly upstanding, honest, and dependable. And everything they say, you know is the truth. You can bank on that making them, in fact, not a fraud. But they are a fraud because they called themselves a fraud despite not being a fraud. So they were pretending to be a fraud when they, in fact, were not. And also they were claiming to be a fish when, in fact, that is also not true. Brendan actually is a teddy bear that was given life from a fairy. And this is going to sound weird, okay? He's been in Weekly World News. He's been on the Alex Jones show. He actually has buttons for eyes, and his stuffing fills his body. He doesn't have any bones. I've bent his arm all the way back. He has no bones, only stuffing. He's kind of a thing of nightmares. Grendel actually was a stagehand for Who's the Boss back in the 80s, early 90s, and he actually lost his job and was kicked out of the industry, completely blacklisted, when he wandered onto the set with a coffee for the director. But the problem was, he wandered on nude. And that's kind of a no-no in certain circles of Hollywood. So, yeah, it was it's one of those things like you have that dream where you go to work and you don't have any pants on. Well, unfortunately, it was all too real to Grendel. Anyway, despite your very diverse backgrounds, I love you all and I appreciate you all supporting the show. Now it's time for Real Talk with Pentcron. All right, I got a question. Are you guys more or less, because I hear this comment a lot, are you more or less into Warhammer than you were this time last year? I have heard many people say less into Warhammer. Okay. Personally, I'm about the same amount as I was last year. Um, it's been a long year, but I'd say hobby-wise, I'm probably a little less into it than I was. Gaming-wise, I'm a little more into it, but kind of want to flip that because the hobby gives me a little more satisfaction than the gaming. But yeah, I'm right about the same, but teetering on a little bit less. Yeah. 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 
Are, are you more enthusiastic? Are you? Yeah, I'm actually more enthusiastic. Uh, but I have a tendency of uh, sort of cycling through hobbies on a seasonal basis. But uh, un maybe unfortunately for uh, for for me, I you know Warhammer is, has been chewing up a lot of cycles for me this this particular year, uh, and and that's mostly because. Uh, I, I probably because I don't actually play the game too much that I just you know lore dump and be you know come up with uh, you know conversions that I think are you know interesting and I'm like oh hey I'm gonna do this and then I buy you know way way too many models and they sit in the uh, small games workshop that lives on the second floor of my home uh, you know that's uh, <laughs> but you know it, there's there's always the there's always like the lore things that kind of change uh, you know the game things and you know people come and go they like some things they don't like other things but. You know, if you're if you're here for the hobby, if you're here for the universe as a whole, then it kind of for me it's it's easy to stay involved. So angry. Okay, I'm gonna gingerly touch this. Uh, I'm more enthused, but it's it's sticky. Anyways, um, uh, I'm more enthused, but also that's partially <laughs> you fucking degenerates. Uh, it's, Partially because this is the first Shoramir I've fully painted an army and got here. And so it's less to do about the actual Warhammer. I haven't been keeping up with the meta all year. It's more about I'm finally actually bringing a fully painted army of an army that I love that's all painted by yeah. me that I get to go hang out with my friends. And so I'm enthused about the hobby. I wouldn't say overall throughout the year. I've been enthused about the painting, but I haven't been playing. I play once a year. It's a Shorehammer. I mean, I, I paint like two months ahead of time. I should paint ahead of time, but I don't. Uh, mostly. Mostly. I'll say I'm a little, uh, I'm probably at least as much, if not a little more excited. Um, and I think that's partially because of 30K. Because I found a whole new reason to enjoy like building and painting models and playing in a system that I forgot how much I liked. So... I, I like um, the newer models that are coming out, but some of the new lore, I don't know what's going on with that. It's like you're not following the lore anymore. And of course, uh, if you played Imperium now in 9th edition, well, we didn't play 9th edition this year, but we, I, I think they should have just left it with 8th edition with uh, Yorick. So that's, that's one model is going to be missing. I don't know what they're going to do with that. So he's mad Yark's gone. Does anybody have an idea why Yark is gone? Just because he's an old model and they want to make a new one? Literally, literally died of old age. Yeah, the dude's been around for like 20 years in-game. It's about time for the old man to, to finally pass away. And I get it sad. But I've, uh, I've become more excited. I'm always, I'm always excited about Shorehammer, regardless of the state of, uh, of 40K in general. Uh, one thing for me personally that is... Uh, made me happier with the hobby is that I have divorced myself from consuming the 24-hour news cycle of, oh, boo-hoo, the competitive meta is all messed up, man. You know what? I'm not... In, there's no universe where I'm in the running for, like, ITC champion. So once I stopped watching all and consuming all the material that's complaining about how Warhammer's ruined because Joe Blow from Topeka, Kansas with his Imperial Fist can't become first place. It's just, it's fine. Like, I got away from that, the, the noise of boohooing about the hobby and enjoying the part of the hobby that, that makes it fun, which is just getting games with your boys. What about Pokemon? 
I, I put Votan models in my mouth. I, uh, <laughs> I do, I do love that. I love that GW has become more interactive with their audience again. When I first started the hobby, they had people called Commandos who ran tournaments, and they GW sponsored tournaments, and they had supported some of their other games. I'm glad to see GW coming back and supporting the community and doing the boxed games over again is pretty cool, and they've been doing that for a while now. But I love that they released on April Fool's Day that the squats were coming back, and and like like 75% of the people got super pissed off because they thought it was an April Fool's joke, and then on April 2nd they're like, no, no, the April Fool's joke was that you thought it was an April Fool's joke. They're fucking back, and I, I thought that was just awesome and funny and. Some people were mad, but I'm like, get over yourself. But I realized I used to play competitive 40K back in 4th, 5th, and 6th edition, mainly 4th and 5th, and it was a wildly different game. And I realized now playing in the Danger Zone tournament where we had five stratagems to use, most of them were just re-rolls of some kind. It brought me back to the old versions of 40K where it was I showed up with an army, you showed up with an army, we just shot the shit out of each other, and that was kind of it. And then played in the tournament today and in competitive 40k now where you need a rubric to learn how to keep score. That's too much bookkeeping for me. And I was always a competitive player, but now I'm really leaning into the non-competitive narrative. Let's just make something cool and throw down. John, my question for you is... If we had an infinite number of Johns in an infinite number of rooms, would you eventually find a meta army? <laughs> I mean, based on the fact that it's infinite me's, um, if I ended up in a universe where maybe there was like boob sweat and making costumes, that could be my meta army where I would be successful. It, would, it becomes one. Well, it's like a million, infinite chimpanzees with infinite typewriters. One of them would eventually type out the entire works of Shakespeare. Yes, and in Astraeus. I guess this is my podcast now, everybody. <laughs> Everybody needs a little time away. I heard them say. Thank you. I'm going for 30 seconds and it just degenerates. <laughs> All right, so uh, for those of you, and I know there's some of you, I know at least you, and I know at least Culp, have uh, uh, Warhammer Plus? Do you think it's worth it? Is it not worth it? I see hands now. All right. All right, yes, I'm one of the assholes that subscribed to Warhammer Plus and made our community worse for it. But there is some cool stuff on there. Um, I wanted the free miniatures. I love the stuff they did on there. I watch anime, so the network program is okay. Um, by and large, Warhammer Plus has been fine for me. I've gotten access to both the apps. Um, the army builder on both the apps is complete dog shit. Yeah. I will not hide that at all. 
Uh, the Age of Sigmar one is much better than the 40k one. But the stuff you get on Warhammer Plus, because they're so desperate to put it out and make people consume it, it's been worth its money to me. I've, I've thought I got my 60 bucks or whatever it was out of it between the miniature, the free stuff every year, the additional programming, the codex supplements. And every time I bought a codex, I've uploaded it into my app, and so far it's been worth it to me. Now that's an individual perspective, but to me it's, it's worth it for the anime and, and the subscription. Did you have something to say? Sure. And there was another hand. I am asshole number two who subscribed to Warhammer Plus. Uh, I've enjoyed it. Uh, the content's okay. Um, some of the shows are pretty good. I agree the app is dog shit to build a list with. Um, my my biggest complaint is I feel like a lot of the stuff that they put out for the shows and everything, you're putting it behind a paywall, so you're only getting people who are already Warhammer fans to watch it. You're not getting somebody interested in the hobby or the lore or the stories by catching one of these shows. I mean, like, oh, hey, what's that really cool dude shooting a bunch of other people? Uh, I want to find out more. So you're, you're kind of fleecing your customers that you're already your customers as opposed to, you know, suckering in newbies, but... Overall, I, I, I have no regrets about signing up. I'll, I'm signed up again, so. Uh, I pay for the year, and it's like $59 or something. <laughs> Do you, uh, anybody else have anything to add? Anyone not happy with Warhammer Plus? Everyone seems pretty happy. John is happy. Yeah, I like it. For, for a troops box a year... For, for another truth box a year that you're not painting, um, you get access to the app for free, which the rule, the, the army builder is limited and not the best. Uh, the fact that you're able to access your digital codexes quickly, like I didn't have to crack open my actual books at all this weekend because of the ease of access to your rules. Mind you, you have to learn like the actual names of things to find them in alphabetical order. So like, you know, the Slobbity Bile Piper and like, you know, all the other stuff. You got to know the names. I'll slobby bile your pipe. Chill out. Hey, hey, yo. But um, yeah, just the, the for the cost relative to what we have for an expensive hobby, it's I feel like it's it's worth it. It's 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 not that bad. <laughs> um, not often enough. Um, I do like the battle reports. I like the painting things. Um, and just when you're looking at like a model that sells on eBay for like eighty bucks, like you could just put it on eBay and pay for your subscription every year, theoretically. Or, or give it to Shorehammer for a, uh, for a charity raffle. Nobody would do that, though. <laughs> John, you brought up an interesting point when you said you didn't have to actually crack open your codex at all. You just looked at it digitally. How long do we think before we're, the hard copies of codexes become kind of by the way? So I don't think they ever will become one, but the fact that I buy a codex and three and a half weeks later they've put out a balance update sheet and all these updates or they like updated Tao's Monka ability and Kayun abilities to where I can't actually look into Tao Codex for their special rules because it's so outdated I have to use the app so the point I'm getting at is why do I have to keep buying a physical $50 codex or whatever they are when I literally can't use them anymore uh, to answer the question of when it's too long too long yeah yeah Yeah, that, that, this is Don again. Um, <laughs> no, 
that's the problem I think with 40k right now. They they're just printing out these new codexes and then putting out another sheet three months later because that codex was too powerful or they had to tweak it again. It's if they just got it right the first time, like they were doing with AOS, it was fine now. Why do they keep adding more to it? That's just asinine. <laughs> All right, <clears throat> I'm a new person to uh, 40k. I mean, I I only have like orcs, and but I I personally like the fact that they're they're doing new codexes and introducing new shit. Um, the I love the way the Votan look, and I I actually got the box. I mean, I I didn't listen to the social. I didn't like obviously it got a lot of hate, but I personally love the way the little minis look, and I think it comes down to well, what do you want to get out of the hobby? Like, for me, whether I win or lose, it's not really about that. It's about hanging out, having a good time, you know, having the, the minis that I like, the way that, having, looking the way I like them to look. I think that's, that's what I get out of the hobby. It's pretty rich of us to pitch so, about the hobby when we have, like, ten empty cans right here. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, uh, I do like to give credit when credit's due. I haven't played the new kill team yet, but... I, I'm going to buy the Naval Breachers box set whenever it comes out by themselves because I think the models are beautiful and I will have a I'll have a game to play them in. I'll be able to play just that unit in the game of Kill Team. I'll be able to play Votan in just a game of Kill Team. So now I have, it was always hard for me to buy a box of models just to build and paint them and have them to look at them and never play with them. But now with Kill Team, I'm like, oh no, I can buy one or two boxes of Votan and I can actually play a game with them now. I can play Kill Team with them. So I love that GW is making the game smaller because now I have a real reason to justify to myself to buy another box that looks cool. But just having 10 Votan sitting on my shelf for the rest of my life, I'd be like, ah, they're pretty, but damn, you know, I wish I could play with them. But now I could be like, yeah, let's go, boys. We're going to play Kill Team and shoot some town shit. So I'm, I'm really happy about bringing the game smaller. All about the kill teams. Awesome, awesome miniatures. That's a good idea, Scott. Why don't we just take the kill team painting competition and just five models and and just see and just see who does the best with the paint job on that. For hobby reasons, that's awesome. Huh? No. Okay. Well, Jared, uh, to my knowledge, has just gotten back into 40k with Votan. Do you want to tell me why, Jared? Oh, I know why, but they don't. Listen, the obvious is it's dwarves. I play any kind of dwarf, anything imaginable. Also, uh, it's squats on top of it, so it's something that came back lore-wise. They're amazing, and and the lore behind the squat, the Votan, is actually really interesting. If you didn't read into it, yeah, uh, uh, it's, a, it's clone vat-grown clone army boys. Yeah, it's into it. Um, I uh, I'm less into Warhammer. If we're, if we're talking about that way, than I have previously. Yeah, I'll jump that. Um, more into the hobby side, maybe, piece to it. But the games have just been... F I, I think maybe I've played too many too long. So I've been having fun with it, but I've been having a lot of fun with Marvel Crisis Protocol. I've been having a lot of fun with Lord of the Rings. My first time playing into that. I've been having a lot of fun with, like, the Game of Thrones game, which is amazing. The Song of Ice and Fire, highly recommended if you like Frank and File. Uh, there's just a lot of other good stuff out there right now. So it's been fun to kind of dip my toe in stuff.
Horace Harrison. Did I just kill you with that, that crack there? Um, anything else? Anything that's uh, burning in your chest here? Uh, not in a bad way. Honestly, Games Workshop has just been pumping out really goddamn gorgeous minis lately. Just... They between AOS and 40k, and I guess 30k is a thing. They just <laughs> they just keep pumping out hits after hits. Like game rules aside, if you're into buying awesome minis and painting them, they have not missed lately. No. Like I'm just super stoked to have a company that gives a shit about continually releasing awesome models, and thereby hurting our bank accounts. <laughs> yeah, it's certainly been a tidal wave of new product, that's for sure. But it's pretty cool. So, um, yeah, Katie apparently is. Um, so, what else? Hey, is that new guy on a horse? Is he named? Or is that a generic? Or for a guard? His name? Okay, is he the New York? Like, is he the figurehead? The the poster boy? They're saying no. Lord Sar Solar. Somebody's... Oh. Yeah, he's Lord Solar, and he's, like, in command of the Imperial Crusade for all of the, like, human forces. So he's like, you know, I'm waiting for them to reveal that he's the fucking Emperor Reborn or something, like, in a year. Whoa. And then be like, oh, yeah, just kidding, he's actually the Emperor, you know. Probably not, but he used to actually have a model, I have him. And he, an old model is metal. He looks like Alexander the Great, and yeah, and he died because this was like a this was like hundreds of years ago, thousands. And he reconquered a lot of the empire, but now this is like the first time they're doing his rank again with a different person. So that'll inspire a lot more books. It'll inspire probably shows on Warhammer Plus. And it's a beautiful model, and like him and Bellacor are the two models I kind of want to just buy and paint. Now, so uh, so Creed is out, but I heard something about his daughter or something. His daughter's in. Is she the same exact role on the battlefield he was? Is that so? So you're saying she basically is him, but with more updated rules? Okay. So I didn't know if she played a different part, you know, as far as in your army or not. But no, not really. I'm. I'm watching someone try to precariously <laughs> balance a bunch of beer cans. <laughs> Al, do you have anything? So they redid Horus Heresy, and I think they did a pretty good job. It's just they need to sort of produce more of a content to, because I think they're missing the boat right now. I think now's the time you have new rule set. Do what you can to bring more people in and. They're not really doing a whole bunch with it. I would say, oh, here's something new, then missing the deadline to get it out, then doing the same thing. You know, it needs a little more publication, I think, on their part to push it because I think you're going to miss the boat on it. I think it's probably the best game system they have out there right now as far as balanced play goes. So I think if they could get more of a scene with it, it would do a great, you know, a lot more for it. Like, you don't see a whole bunch on the, uh, their, their pages. You know, you'll kind of get something like once a month. So, yeah. No, they're making miniatures. Don't get me wrong, they're making a lot of plastic for it, but it's like, it, I think they're missing it. Yeah, they put out like 
a PDF about every other month that has a new unit in it, but it's like they don't make exact miniatures for it. And they're missing plastics that they need. They don't have an assault squad. You can't get both pistol arms. You can't get chain chores arms. Like, they really need to hit on it, and right now's the time to do it, and I think people are just getting frustrated with it. There you go. Kind of piggybacking on what Al said, not just with models and things like that, but if, <clears throat> like they're doing a lot of the the Siege of Terra book series and stuff like that. But they could lean into the Warhammer Plus the animation studio and recreate some of those battles to watch in an animated series or something like that. Or you know, I know there's been whispers and rumors, and we all want to see Henry Cavill come back as the Emperor and make a 40k movie or a series or something. But like all of all of that. There's so much depth and story to all of that that I'd love to see in a visual medium. What do you ask? Just sort out on the line. What are you asking for? What? Yeah, you bring up an interesting point because I actually know several people in my personal life who know jack shit about the miniatures game, but have played Dawn of War and have read actually some of the lore and some of the books and love it and if they really got warhammer plus out there and made some just some free content if they had a like a more free content to hook some other people to get them in then really could bring more people not only into the hobby but yeah it's like you, you in up and right there and you can just bring some more people into the hobby <laughs> There's a soft spot at the top. You'll feel it. Um, but <laughs> but like my brother-in-law, I bought him a box of models for his birthday because he wanted to try building and painting something. But he's never going to play the game. He's told me. He's like, I never want to play it. He's like, but it'd be really cool to have like a Dread Knight on my shelf. I'm like, neat. And he's read some of the lore. And a lot of my friends have played Dawn of War but would never be into the model aspect of it. And I think... GW is focused very much on us, the competitive and narrative players at the moment, which I guess I can't complain about, but if they put out a little more free content for the people who actually know some of the lore, it might actually get some more people to come into the hobby. At the same time, this is a one-off. One of the guys I work with a lot, he loves Grey Knights. He knows nothing about Warhammer the game. He has a squad of Grey Knights he has painted because he thinks they're cool models. He has a 3D print of a Grey Knight, and he plays Dark Tide. He's very excited for Dark Tide. He would love Vermintide. So I feel like they are slowly reaching people, especially since 2020. I feel like the amount of people they're reaching is going up. It's just you're always gonna gonna have a high bar to entry if it's like, hey, you gotta pay for a model, then you gotta assemble it, then you gotta paint it, then you gotta play with it. Yeah. So I think they're doing pretty good. Yeah. I I don't know. I almost kind of think if they did something kind of like Star Wars X-wing, where it's like, hey, I don't know, if it's a different game system, or it's the same game system, but they offer pre-painted stuff. Yeah. I almost feel like they might get some more traction because there's a lot of people that are put off by the amount of effort it is to paint a box of minis. Some people love it. A lot of us love it. That's why we're here. But a lot of people don't. They just want to buy a box and go play with their friends and just fuck around and find out. I mean, a lot of people do that. Yeah, I mean, this is an extra... Like, if you're going to get into it at the level that... We're here that we're into it at a level where we're collecting. Almost unhealthy. Not necessarily. We don't have to be unhealthy. But 
we're we're fingers on the we're adults with a disposable income we have chosen to you know support a hobby you know people that are into like motorcycles or golf or hunting like they are not inexpensive hobbies um it's unfortunately it it, it is a it's it's not a cheap hobby you know it's yeah. it's not like you know having like a skateboard and that's like your hobby you know um you know there's there's definitely like a, a barrier entry there and that's unfortunate it's, it, for that reason it's not for every like golf's not for unfortunately not cannot be for everybody um Exactly. I don't have that many clubs because I'm sitting on most of them internally. No. But, but still. But I remember when I was in middle school, and you know we we had the the second edition starter box, and regardless of what anyone, yeah, it was about forty years ago. And the idea of the normalization of the 2,000-point, you know, GTITC army yeah. wasn't the standard that you're going to be shamed if that's not what you own. We're a bunch of idiot 14-year-old kids because, yes, we were in middle school and we are way too old to be in middle school, which is fine because I don't math well. But, you know, we had what we had. We painted it. We had fun. We did whatever we wanted. You know, we didn't need – we didn't feel this, this, this need to kind of, like, be – art of war right we didn't feel the need to be manny shima like we we're in our basements with sheets over books and tin cans you know we we, oh, literally we soda can drop pots. you don't need to buy a 2000 point army to interact with this hobby and it's just so important that we that the the just because people can get into it without having to have a 2000 point army oh, only some of us are basement war gamers only some of us are basement war gamers the rest of us have touched grass. <laughs> no, like speaking about like <laughs> you fuckers. <laughs> no, like so when I was a kid, there was a there was an action an action figure store that was by my house. It was called Action Figure Cantina. This this old couple ran it. It was awesome, but they had a whole back room for Warhammer and at me like seven year old Evan, like fucking was back there going i love these look at how cool these things are and i was like they're too fucking expensive <laughs> like you'll never get to that shit then like here, here here i am like you know damn near 30 years later fucking spending almost all of my disposable income buying models and fucking painting shit now <laughs> so yeah yes this is yes my name is evan and i'm addicted to uh warhammer <laughs> I, I think, Jordan, to kind of get to what you were talking about as far as GW trying to bring in more people, the, the problem is the convenience of it. Like for folks, for the hobbies, uh, hobbyists and collectors, I mean, we like getting the boxes, building the minis, creating things, painting them the way we want, and then like learning the codex to play the, the game. But for folks, like the generation we live in, like folks just want things convenient. I want to watch. I want to play a video game. I'm not even going to go to the store and buy it. I'm gonna download it and I'm gonna play it now. I don't even have to leave. I could make fucking pizza tots, eat like <laughs> while I'm downloading the game. When they're done, I can play my game. Yeah, I'm just saying. Like we we we're in a generation of convenience. If GW really wanted to to make the the to to expand the audience, they really need to make pre pre-made kits like just generically painted that way people can actually uh, 
like get into the game without having to learn the codex and, and build the models and paint and all that? There, um, have any of you been to a Barnes and Noble recently? Make, yeah, exactly. But if you go in there, if you go into a Barnes and Noble, they have Warhammer 40k mini games, and they are like, hey, they don't even market them as Warhammer 40k. They market them as like board games, and so they're like halfway there. They're halfway there to getting people interested. And if you know, you put a little pamphlet in there, like, did you have fun playing with these pre-painted minis of these what we call space marines? You know, check out our website that has a whole bunch of shit on there, and then get them addicted. But they're like halfway there because they're um, you know, whoa, <laughs> but they um, the models are like press fit, easy fit, and. They're like solid yellow, solid green, solid red, solid red. So they're like halfway there to, oh, here's a unit of Space Marines. Here's a board game that goes with it. They're fully painted, some fully painted cultists. Um, for a while, my friends and I started playing X-Wing and Attack Wing for that reason that the models were fully painted when we bought them. So that it was like we opened the box, they were fully painted, they looked good on live stream if we wanted to record anything, and boom, we could just play and be done, ready to go. So I think you're right. If they, They're like almost there. If they can just add in one more level of, okay, here's some pre-painted stuff, and get people to, I crack it open, I play it, this was fun, and then they start exploring it more. But real talk on that, I agree with you, you're right. 100%. But what would GW charge for that? So let's say you have a $60 box of intercessors. I'm going what are they going to charge for a battlefield standard or what what we call it um battlefield battle ready. And then they're going to have a parade ready. <laughs> so let's say $60 becomes $150 probably versus $300. Yeah, and the, the problem is that becomes prohibitive because as much as we agree, GW's done a great job as a hobby company provider in the past three years. Warm community is much better it was th than third edition when I started when it says, here's your codex, fuck you. <laughs> That's not balanced. We don't care. Play your army and like it. But they've done a great job with the community and everything, but think about the price for a... I'm going to order a set of Ultramarines. They're going to be uh, Battlefield ready. I guarantee you that's $150 value at bare minimum. <laughs> Probably, yeah. So then, yeah, and that'd be cool if you could go on Warhammer Community or the website and go, okay, I'm going to buy a box of Intercessors. I'm going to pick my chapter and hit play. Now, none of us would do that because we're going to paint our armies the way we like it and it's going to be a thing, but. It is good for the for the entry level gamer, but that entry level gamer has got to have some disposable funds for that kind of uh, purchase. I got him next, but if you're gonna pick him relatively quick, but piggybacking on that, um, so I got into Star Wars X Wing for a little bit and then jumped out for other reasons. But it was what ten fifteen dollars for like an X Wing, theoretically if you made five intercessors in the same pose for all five and they were pre-painted kind of thing like 70 80 bucks for the same five poses same loadout every time you buy them it, i'm not saying that's what gw would do 
we all know no, but they could. The art of possible is there, and I think even if it was a subpar army, if you just bought it pre-painted, maybe you'd get more people. And maybe not, but or if they started doing a kill team that was ten painted models of that same kill team, something like that to get people into the hobby, that gateway drug to get them in there. So a lot about this has been about um, people getting into the hobby, and I like to think that most of us got in the hobby when we were younger, and it seems like Games Workshop has kind of lost the target audience for their their games. It used to be, you know, teenage boys was typically what they were targeting with their games. No teenage boy has fewer than usual teenage boys have 210 bucks to drop on a new battle set. I remember when I got my, my first army, I was spending like 29 bucks on a box of warriors that would last me like a month to paint. Like, that's a lot of dollar value for the hobby. Uh, nowadays, it's like 40, 50 bucks for the same plastic. And yeah, this, the starter sets have gone up to like 105 for no good reason. They haven't even changed the models. So... I feel like they are actually, they've shifted their target demographic. They're not, they're no longer looking for the teenagers and like the 12 year olds who are in middle school are like, oh man, that's cool. That's dudes with chains on their swords and there's freaking nuns with guns. It's, it's now like the high disposable income, 20, 30, 40 something year old men who are already in the hobby, who already know what they want. And that is... It, it, it's a very limited uh, target audience because now you've got people that either are already familiar with the hobby or were already in it and are coming back. And that's basically all the people that are going to drag into it. Maybe they're friends, uh, which it, this isn't really... Uh, I'm just going to say it. The, the Warhammer nerds are not exactly known for having extremely large social circles, so that's even then a limited thing. There's at least a dozen of us here, yes. Uh, I feel like they're kind of preaching to the choir. They know they know their target market. They know that they can gouge the hell out of them, and that's basically what they're doing. That's why they're playing the fan favorites. No one who has not played Warhammer knows what a squat is, and nor do they care. So unless Leagues of Voltan is supposed to be like this, this huge poster child thing, like Space Marines were trying to get people into the army, that whole like year long push was just to get like people who used to play back in and I see like the same thing was with Sisters of Battle like there's no there hasn't been a really cool new thing in quite some time so yeah I had a bunch of it was Matt and Al so my counterpoint to that uh, of the like it's hard to get into the hobby uh, as an old guy who plays the game a lot and has played for a long time um I'm an old guy. I'm, you know, I'm in my 30s. I'm, I'm, I've peaked. Uh, <laughs> so, anyways, it is a high, it is, it is a high cost of entry into the game, but as somebody in my community who is trying to promote the game, because we have a low player base. I have no problem saying, hey, you want to play this game. I've got 50 leftover Marines that I'm not doing anything with. Play with these, paint them, you know, let's play a game. I want to introduce you into this game that, that I really enjoy. 
And so there's a, I think there's, at least in my circle, there's a lot of that going on. So it's a little easier when you have older players who are like very willing to just donate stuff to just, just to have people to play. So it is high cost, but again, at the same time, there's a lot of resources there too. So. <laughs> See, my take on that is, if you buy something that's pre-painted, they're not going to care about it. How often have you bought a kid a toy, he plays with it for five minutes because he has no investment in it, he gets rid of it. You get somebody to assemble it, take the time, they commit to it, they're going to stick with it. Right, so it's like, it has no value to them, no emotional investment, so it's never going to stick with them. That's the problem with that. So even if they make it, it's not going to get people that are going to stick with the game. Like a collector, like people our age, yeah, that's pre-painted. It's really nicely done. I'll get it just so I don't have to bother painting it because I don't have the time. It's not going to be people you're going to get in the game. That's never going to work for them. And then just one other thing going back to that heresy stuff. It's like they're at the Siege of Terra. They're doing nothing about getting the Siege of Terra models and the Primarchs and all that stuff into the Horus Heresy gaming environment right now. They're, we're at the end and they're like just at the doorstep of getting people involved in it. I agree. The only armies that I've ever sold were ones that I already bought painted from someone like a lot. I, I almost, almost never sell an army that I actually painted myself. My only counterpoint to the um, being too expensive, barred entry, all that other stuff, totally grand the X-Wing, as I said off the mic, they've sat in the closet for two years. But um, the way I even got into Warhammer is I was interested because I thought it was really cool. And as a kid, I got like a box of models here, a box of models there. I didn't have an army. I didn't play the game. I just painted shit and thought it was great. And then 10 or 15 years later, Walt... That asshole got me into it again, and then I dived whole hard into it. But it was because I had that love as a kid. So I would almost say, like, you don't necessarily need to get someone at a young age necessarily into playing the game, into whole hard investment, or even a lot of money. It's it's that love and fascination with the game that they maybe would have had with another game system, because. A lot of us are into this idea. If it was another game system that reached out to you when you were in your teens or middle school or high school years, it may be that that you have a soft spot with. But if Warhammer gets there first, you may have a soft spot. As you get more uh, money later, yeah, it's kind of brand loyalty. At the same time, I have a soft spot for the fantasy elves and stuff that I grew up with. So, great point on the concept and the idea. That's what draws us all into the hobby, and I know that's what motivates me into it. But I've got a divisive question for everyone. We mentioned this, and this is a topic I wanted to see what people's thoughts were, is do we think GW is on a timer for their current state of business? All right, we got, we got 3D printing. We got digital formats. How long do you think we can sustain on what we're doing now before GW has to make a push to change how they deliver rules or how they deliver miniatures? Is it STL selling? Is it direct download? Or what do you think is going to happen? And are they right now at a point where they're getting against that wall to make that next step? 
I think uh, to that point specifically, I think GW has to look forward. If you look at stores like fucking GameStop, who are like, we're going to keep living by brick and mortar when, as Noel put out earlier that, oh, I can download a game and make fucking loaded tots while my game's downloading and then play it and don't have to go to the store. Pizza tots. GW has to do the same thing. They have to look forward and go, 3D printing's a thing. Most people, as they've said before, and as Walt has said several times, competitive wargaming in 40K is a niche within a niche. And a lot of the narrative gamers are going to 3D print these models for free if they can. And I think GW has to look forward and figure out we need to sell STL files and uh, you can still buy, like I won't buy an STL file. I might get a friend to buy it. I might get them to print it for me, but I'm still going to buy the box of Votan that I want. I'm still going to buy the kill team I want, but they can make a lot of money on STL files. And then I don't doubt their ability to aggressively find and punish anyone who black market sells shit. Cause I mean, if Disney, I, I know GW's done it before and, and to your, and to your point, I was, I was 10 years old and I walked into a games workshop store and the guy said, Hey, this is underground. We don't have any marketing at all. Do you want to play these giant superhuman dudes in armor and murder my little guys? I was like, yeah. And I did. And I bought a third edition box set of Dark Eldar versus Space Marines. And I feel like I have been the target audience ever since. So I'm, I was 10 when I got into it. I'm 33 now. And I feel like every time they update something, it's for me. And I'm like, okay, you've been targeting me since I was 10. You're grooming me. That's fine. <laughs> but it's all coming up millhouse but i i do <laughs> redacted excommunicatus but i do agree with i think gw if they don't look to the future the competitive wargaming alone where people ban non-gw models from gw stores that's not going to make them enough money to keep them in business in the next 20 years. And I think they have to look forward because I'm going to be very sad if GW doesn't. And I don't think they would ever just completely go out. But, man, the better the 3D printing gets, the harder it's going to be for them to not lose that fight. I would say they have to do both, kind of like our pre-painted versus non-painted argument. I think it would be stupid for them to not be looking into this space, looking at what they can do. At the same time, I've never picked up a resin model and like handled it and not had it bend a little and gone, ah, God, that's weird. Maybe this is just me. With no predisposition to it, I probably wouldn't have any weirdness there. But I do think that 3D printing for me, I think Games Workshop makes some of the best miniatures. Some of the 3D printers make some amazing stuff problem is, is if you're leading the IP, you kind of set the image and the nostalgia. And so, I think for a while they're okay, but they if they don't look into that sphere and figure their niche in it, yeah, they're fucked. Yep. Okay, um, just to take back on Mike and John, um, as far as 3D printers go, the miniatures are heavier. They look nice. 
but you it, it's a pain in the butt to put them together you, you got to put um, super glue opposed to plastic glue when you're dealing with resin so, and yeah they need to use something that people would have to buy to make um, resin miniatures but still that whatever they're doing as far as making the um, sprues and everything else upgrade kits and everything GW's tops on that so th that's what the 3d printer has to catch up to these guys have got thousands of dollars on their machinery opposed to somebody who bought something for two hundred dollars he said yeah forge world would would do better than dw do gw the upgrade kits yeah i'll take that back to mike there you go we're going to company stand a little bit. So we talked about future-proofing for, for Games Workshop. I think they're doing fine. They're making more money now than they ever have. They're making more money now than they ever have previously. 3D printers have been around for how long now? It's affordable. What is it? It's like 300 bucks for one? Decent one? You print out all you want. Models now. Box kit, 60 bucks. How many are you buying it? Y'all are. Y'all are. I am too. They're doing fine. 3D printers for nice little bits and gits, always great. Tournament place? Tournament place used to be you could have 30% of the model being something else. They went for it. Now it's just they don't talk about it as much, but you can still do it. Most of it's fine so long as you're within a percentage, even at a GW tournament. So they're doing great. If they sold STL files, awesome. It's going to be a slight, slightly less from what their normal model cost is. So you're probably gonna pay thirty dollars for that STL. It's gonna be nice, and it's just data. Anytime you have a 3D printer, your problem gets magnified. It just because you buy a sixty-dollar box and you can't paint it. Now, if you can print it for free, you just drown in more models. It doesn't help the situation. <laughs> 3D printing won't be a threat until I can take the resin bottle and pour it down the sink, and the EPA doesn't care. Until you, that happens, the average person is going to be scared of that chemicals and isn't going to want to deal with it. And I agree with all of you that GW is doing fine. I, there's a lot that I love that they're doing because, like I said, selling out one-off box sets for $55 that I can now play Kill Team with is awesome, all this stuff. But we don't know in 10, 20 years, maybe a 3D printer that prints awesome great models is going to be 50 bucks and the resin for it is going to be maybe a little more expensive a little more cheaper maybe it'll be something different but we don't know but i know that 3d printing isn't going away 3d printing is going to get better and as it gets better it gets cheaper and more what's to stop your local game store from printing out a whole bunch of stuff and selling it to people so that they can use it there instead of like i don't need to buy from gw anymore I have six 3D printers that only cost me maybe a thousand bucks. I can print out, you ask me what you want, I'll 3D print it for you, 35 bucks. I don't even have to deal with GW anymore, you can have that model, because if we're not doing any official events, it doesn't matter. And I'm literally talking about like 10, 15 years down the line, not tomorrow. Because right now, obviously that's not feasible, but later, 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 no one ever thinks anything's going to go out of business, then fucking Sears goes out of business. 
predicted Amazon. So it's more of a philosophical thing, but basically to make that work, people have to get out of the Amazon mentality. Yeah. They have to be back into going to a local gaming store to buy their products. Otherwise, they buy it off Amazon yeah. or buy it off a 3D printing site. Yeah. That's a major hurdle. Well, we kind of promised Oh, you want it. Okay, I thought it was one Um, so to counter him, there's people at my local game store that will print your army for a fraction of what GW will charge for right now. They do, they'll do it. They'll do it. I can say I want a unit of this, and it'll be there next weekend. It's not a problem. So that will cut into them. You know, now can you run a store selling off the shelf? No, somebody will come after you and get you for copyright. But that's going to be a problem for them. As far as future proofing. They have the content, they have the army, they have the best lore, you know, right now of anything. I, they're not going to go anywhere. As long as they keep on producing the content and don't go too far off track, where they'll be fine. And they'll be around in their decade and decades after that. So, my local game store, he does do 3D printing. Um, but the problem with him 3D printing models for 40K... Uh, is is that um, if he is 3D printing models for 40k, he's not selling Games Workshop, which is like his biggest seller. So if he's cutting himself out of his own paycheck 3D printing, he's actually losing money. So like it's kind of like a like a a res not respect, but like kind of a it is almost a respect thing. It's it's, it's like. So, so the thing with 3D printing is like, oh yeah, uh, Games Workshop puts out great terrain. Like, I love their terrain; it's fantastic. But at the same time, you can 3D print terrain for super cheap. Like, it's it's that's I think that's where the niche is. I with with 3D printing, you're gonna get all the bits, all the cool upgrade looking stuff for your models. But also at the same time, if you're selling 40k. You're not going to be printing 40k. It's 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 like a there's like a fine line there where it's like do you cut into your own profits or you know what I'm saying? So yeah. It's uh, kind of odd to hear people uh, actively defending a company that's been increasing its prices arbitrarily for the past decade. It's kind of odd to hear people defending a company that's been arbitrarily increasing its prices for the last decade. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, it's the hobbyists that make the hobby. The hobby was here before Games Workshop, and the hobby is going to be here after Games Workshop. If Games Workshop decides to flow with the times, then cool. And if they continue to just decide to cl uh, clamp down on their intellectual property and uh, sort of alienate 3D printers and third-party modelers and all of that, then uh, that's a decision that they have to make. And uh, just sort of like Ninth Age, it's it's going to be here whether they're here or not. So, yeah, I'm not really too worried about the future of the hobby or the company itself. My only response to the 3D printing is that if I was at a tournament or if I was just even at a fun game and someone rocks up with a fully 3D printed, totally not GW army playing GW rules, I'd be a little annoyed. Like, it's it's kind of shicey. If someone was like, all the heads or the shoulder pads or the arm, whatever. 
They're like, hey, I fucking hate these. These look way cooler. Fuck yeah. Hell yeah, man. Super into it. It's just, it's, to me, it's weird when someone's like, hey, I don't want to do GW's. So I'm going to three print the entire thing, even though pretty much all the IP and everything is GW's idea. But if they want just, if, if you hate the sculpt of an old ash thing like a rat ogre and you want a new proxy, go for it, dude. Because they look like shit. <laughs> so, uh, in in your like, hey, I showed up to a tournament and your entire army was three D printed. I went to a tournament uh, a month ago, two thousand points. Guy showed up with uh, demon army, fully three D printed, fully three D printed like flamers of Zinch, Like that was the whole. That's the shtick, right? And like, he was like, oh yeah, I don't buy GW models. I just print them. And I'm just like, so yeah, so. That's the only rub, like, exactly what you're saying. That's the only rub I have. Like, the guy showed up, he took first place, he dominated every game he played, and it's just like, it's it's a little rough, because you show up to play a game, you put all this time and effort into, you know, you, you, you monetary value, you bought the models, painted them, and he's just like, oh yeah, three color, 3D printed flamers, and it's like, Alright, I'm so glad that I paid the $10 to play this tournament, because, you know, yeah. It, that, that was definitely a feels bad moment, exactly. That's why Shorehammer's great, because nobody fucking does that. Right. <laughs> yeah, I like, I like that idea, too. Um, people come in, it's hobby first. We paint them miniatures, we buy them box sets, and we, we, we make our own armies. And and that's what I love about Shorehammer and all this 3D printing stuff. Eventually, it will catch up to the 3D printers, bite them in the ass because the GW will go after a lawsuit. That's just going to happen. And and are they buy the IPs and say, hey, you got to pay us for that royalties or whatever? Are they going to? sign up with somebody and you can pre 3d print their terrain and all that shit and that that would be cool but um mostly i prefer the gw miniatures over 3d print until they come up with a better technology lighter a lighter frame it's something i don't have to use super glue to to keep it to the board or or, or keep it together but as far as the plastic goes i'm for it mm. Nobody's going to argue with 3D printed chaos spawn. I, I do think that 3D printing upgrade kits is an area that GW could put out immediately right now and make money. Like, hey, here's an STL file. Here's every chapter, every legion, Tau, like Farside Enclave. Here's all these upgrade kits that you can get that are no longer... $45 from just Forge World. You know, like, here's the here's the 25 or even here's the $70 STL, but print all the fuck you want. You know, $70 and I can print 200 Space Marine heads so that they're all the cool Blood Angels with the flat flat face and shit, but I think that's an area... Yeah, <laughs> I think that's an area as soon as GW wakes up and goes, oh shit, we could do that. I think they'll do it and they'll make money off of it. They just, you know... Like like other stores, they need to not be blindsided by Amazon like every other brick-and-mortar store has been blindsided like Amazon. 3D printing today is not that threatening to them. 
it's all upgrades and shit, you know, which is nice. I've got 3D printed upgraded chainswords because I want a Kopesh's. It's cool as shit. It's the only thing that's not GW on my model. I will probably, probably never buy just flat out 3D printed models. But if someone on GW's team isn't going, hey, 20, 30 years down the line, long haul, we don't know where this industry is going. It might be a real big problem. It might be a real big problem. <laughs> All right, so uh, does anybody have anything else they want to say? It's been it's been over an hour, so it's a pretty good talk, Jordan. Are you looking for? Thank you for running another great Shorehammer, Scott. Had a great had a great time. I love Danger Zone. I, I went two and one. Let's fucking go. That's the most yeah most games I've won in a year is two. Let's. Yeah. Uh, thank you. It's been a blast. I was at least the fifth best Thousand Suns player. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it. Thank you very much for participating in the 2022 Shorehammer podcast. <laughs> Thanks a lot for coming, guys. I greatly appreciate it. Have a nice night. Take care.